It says in verse 8 of Deuteronomy chapter 11, Therefore you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong, and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to them and to their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt, from which you have come, where you have sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks in water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares, for the eyes of the Lord your God are on it always, from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. New Year's is traditionally a time where we look back on the past year, and we look ahead to the new year. It's a time where we look ahead and wonder exactly what this year is going to produce. Actually, the best way that you can look ahead is to look back. Today, as you're sitting here, realize God brought me this far. God has taken me through 1983. All of the wonderful things that God has done in my past gives me faith for the future as I look ahead in 1984. New Year's is typically a time in which people make resolutions. They go, well, I'm not going to do this anymore, or I'm going to do this. Here's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to go on a diet this New Year's. I'm going to lose 60 pounds the first two months. Or I'm going to give up some of my old habits that were in this last year. That's my New Year's resolution. I quit making New Year's resolutions a long time ago because they don't work. Because what you're doing, in effect, is trusting your flesh, relying upon yourself, making a resolution that you are going to keep something better or do something better. So I've quit making New Year's resolutions. Instead, I just do my best and commit the rest. I trust God. And I know that God has made His resolution to me, and as it says in the Bible, that He is able to keep that which I have committed to Him against that day. So since I've committed my life to Jesus Christ, I know that He will keep my life in 1984. The text that we're at here in Deuteronomy 11 is that of Israel. Israel was on the threshold of a whole new experience. They were going from the land of Egypt into the land of Canaan that God had promised them. And here Moses, through the revelation of God, gives them a little bit of what they can expect when they go into the new land. I'm sure the children of Israel were wondering, Well, what's it like? What's this new land God's been talking about for years like? How different is it than Egypt? What do we have to look forward to in our future as we go from Egypt into this new land? Now, this is New Year's Day and we may be asking the very same questions that Israel asked. We're on the threshold of a new year and we're all wondering, what is going to happen in 1984? What is yet that I will experience in the new year? You notice here that God doesn't give them a detailed outline of what to expect in the new land. He tells them a little bit. He reveals to them that there'll be hills and valleys, that it'll rain, that God will care for them. But he doesn't give them a detailed, mapped out description of their future. Nor does God give us a detailed, mapped out description of our future. God never will tell you exactly what you're going to be doing this next year. Because if God gave you a map of this next year, you wouldn't have to live by faith. 
You wouldn't have to trust God. You could say, oh, right, this month is a drag, but God promised here in the next month I'm going to be all right and I'm going to go here and travel here and get this much money. Great. And it would take away the faith that you would rely on with Jesus Christ. So God doesn't give you detailed maps. He tells you a few things so that you have to hold his hand and trust him the rest of the way. And so it is with the children of Israel as God's leading them from Egypt through the wilderness into the new land. And I will say that this new land and these verses that we're reading make a very apt description of what you can expect in this next year. Very, very similar. There are certain things that you can expect that we will see in these verses. As you notice, in reading these verses, most of them are promises. Most of them, God says, you will be in this land that will rain. It will have hills and valleys. I will care for it. My eyes are upon it from the beginning to the end. God didn't give them details, but God promised them that he would care for that land. God would care and concern himself with them while they went to the new land. They didn't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what tomorrow holds, nor do we really need to know what tomorrow holds. All we have to know is who is holding tomorrow. And as long as our faith is in God who holds tomorrow, we don't really need to have everything mapped out if our trust is in Him. So in verse 10, God says the first thing that you will notice about the land that you go from Egypt is that it will be different from Egypt. He says in verse 10, For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come. As you remember from Exodus, Egypt is a type of the world. Pharaoh is a type of the devil. Just as the children of Israel were in bondage to Pharaoh under forced labor, we were under bondage to Satan in the world. The Egyptians forced the children of Israel with hard labor. They had to make pyramids. They had to make bricks without straw. They had to work and they didn't get paid. Their only wages that they received from being in Egypt was that they would die. They worked and worked and worked and all they got for it was death. Even as us, before we were saved, the wages of sin is death. Serving Satan, being under control of the world system and under Satan. So, the new land in which they go into is a type or symbolic of the new life that we experience in Jesus Christ. So the first thing he says is that when you go into the new land, you'll notice that this new land is completely different from Egypt. We should be able to see definite marked changes between now and our life in Jesus Christ and the way it used to be in the world. There should be changes. Hopefully when you become a Christian, you take on new desires. Now, as I look back on my old life, I see definite marked changes from now and 11 years ago. I remember 11 years ago, the desires that I had were not the same desires that I have today. If I would have looked ahead 11 years ago, and I would have seen myself on this stage here this morning in the auditorium, I probably would have committed suicide. Because at that time, I hated Christians. I didn't like listening to them, and I surely never wanted to be one. But since then, God has given me new appetites. The things that I used to do, I don't want to do anymore. The things that I uh, used to love, I hate today. 
The things that I hated 11 years ago, namely Christianity, today I love. And I've likened it before to myself being a bachelor and eating peanut butter and jelly for years and years thinking that was the greatest thing there was. Then somebody invited me over and I had steak. And I said, that's it, I can't go back. This steak tastes too good, I'd love to eat it all the time. Well, once you taste Jesus Christ, you don't want to go back to Egypt. You don't want to go back to the old life. God gives you new appetites, new desires. And so the land which you go into, he says, will be different from the land of Egypt in which you were. Also, I might add before we go on, that you should be able to see marked, definite changes between your life today and your life a year ago as a Christian. You should be able to see progression in your life with the Lord. For if there is no progression, then you're actually going back. If you're not moving on with the Lord, you're actually going backwards in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So you should see marked progressive changes every day. Actually, every year you should be able to look back on the old year and say, boy, I've grown this much in the Lord. This is great. I'm ready for a new one. The second thing he says about the land is that, yes, it will be different. And one of the ways that it is different is also in verse 10. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come where you have sowed seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. Now, I've heard of watering things by hand, but how do you water things by foot? What he's talking about is this. Egypt was a very dry climate. It hardly rained there at all. And they relied upon the Nile River overflowing its banks once a year for their irrigation all year long. So when the Nile River would overflow, they would build canals and build little ponds all the way through the land of Egypt. Often they would carry them by buckets into the land, put them on camels and go into the land and fill up ponds full of water so that they could have water for their crops and their gardens year long. But they would have these sort of foot-pedaling machines. They were operated by foot and there was ropes connected to it with buckets attached and as they would pedal these things and work them with their feet, it would turn around the rope on which the buckets were connected so that they were taken care of by themselves, by their labor, by working, by forced labor, by toiling every day. So it says, it will not be like Egypt where you had to water the gardens by foot in verse 11, but the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven. As they were to go into the land of Israel, the land of Canaan, they weren't going to work anymore with their foot machines by the Nile River, but it was going to rain. Israel was a land where it would rain and they would have to depend upon God. The irrigation came mostly from rainfall yearly in the spring instead of the Nile River or rivers running through the land. So there were two different methods of irrigation. What God is pointing out to them is this. When you were in the land of Egypt, you did everything yourself. You relied upon yourself You took care of yourself. You irrigated the crops. You fed yourself. You worked. You sustained yourself. But this land of Israel, this land of Canaan, will be a land which I will bring you into, a land that is dependent upon God. You will have to depend on me more than ever before. Now, God wasn't saying that you're just going to be able to go into the land of Israel and just kick back and do nothing. It wasn't, oh, I'm just going to sit here and depend on God. 
They couldn't just sit there and open their mouth and expect God to toss in a Big Mac or something. Yes, they had to plant, they had to labor, they toiled all year long as they went into the land of Israel. But the marked difference between Egypt and the new land is that Egypt, they could trust in the works of their flesh, and in Israel, they would have to be dependent more upon the Lord. God was seeking to bring the children of Israel into a place of dependence upon the Lord, where they wouldn't depend upon their own flesh anymore. And so, he says, it is the land of hills and valleys which drinks in water from the rain from heaven. Actually, the purpose of the wilderness experience, as the children of Israel went from Egypt into the wilderness, the whole purpose of that was to get them to trust and be dependent upon God. And so they were out there in the wilderness and they complained, Moses! Where are we going to get water from? We're, we're dying of thirst. Did you bring us out here to make us die? Moses tapped the rock and water came out. The next week, Moses, we're dying of hunger. We need food. Where are we going to get food? And it rained the next day, bread from heaven. And then they complained again, Moses, we're getting tired of the same menu day in and day out. Can we have some poultry? Something different besides this manna. And so quails came into the camp. And God was all the way through the wilderness getting them to the point where they would trust totally upon the Lord. Because for years they had been resting and depending upon themselves. And so Israel would be a land that would drink in water from heaven as God would provide for them. God desires to take you this year into a place of total dependence upon Him. And I will guarantee you this. That in this next year, God will be bringing you into situations and places that would cause you to trust in Him. That is why so often God pulls the rug out from under us, so to speak, to get us to trust in Him. That is why so often we're allowed to go through difficult circumstances. We're allowed to get into places of total desperation. And you will be this year in places where you will think there's no way out. You go, oh, this is horrible. God, if you loved me, how could you let this happen? But God will lead you there to show you that He has resources that you know nothing about. And when you're in that place of desperation, when you're back in the corner, God will bring you out. You know, it's so easy to, as we trust God, as we have our jobs and we go to work, and the boss says, boy, you're a good worker, here's a raise. And you go home, oh God, praise you, I just thank you, I just trust you for my future and the future of my family. Oh Lord, I just know that you're in control of everything that's going around in my life. You go in a couple weeks later, and he goes, here's your check, your last check. What do you mean, my last check? Oh, didn't we tell you we're laying off people here at the company, and we can't afford to keep you on any longer? And so you go from that place of trust to, oh God... God, I thought you were a God of love. I thought you loved me. If you loved me, how could you let this circumstance happen to me? My family's at home and I don't have any food on the table. And now I... Here's my last check. God, what am I going to do? Well, maybe God wanted to give you a better job. See, before you weren't looking for it. Now you are looking for it. Because you don't have one. And so God will lead you many times in those places where you don't want to be led but you will be dependent upon the Lord. 
And I can guarantee you this, this next year, you will be in situations and places that would cause you to trust in the Lord. The next thing he says is also in verse 11. He says that it is a land, notice, of hills and valleys. I will say amen to that because I have ridden my bicycle in Israel. I thought I was in shape. I spent two months getting in shape for the trip. I flew my bicycle over and I just pooped out about two days after. So many hills and valleys. The whole land is, there's no, nothing flat. It's just all hills and valleys all the way through. It's a land of hills and valleys. Now contrast this with verse 9, what God says about it. And that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to them and to their descendants. Notice, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Delicacies. It's beautiful. It's a blessed land. You're going to be in a place of blessing. But it also has hills and valleys, ups and downs. It's not all just blessing. It's not all just health. It's not all just riches all the time. There will be hills and valleys in the land of Israel. And in the places that God brings you this year, this year will be a year of ups and downs. You won't always be down, but you won't always be up either. You'll be in that place of up and down. So often we want the smooth life. You know, Lord, just make it smooth. Just smooth out my path because I'm tired of these hills and valleys. Let me tell you something. If you didn't have any hills and valleys and it was all one level, if life were all one level, you'd be bored to death eventually. We really thrive and need hills and valleys. We grow through periods of hills and valleys. Yes, it's wonderful to be on the mountaintop experiences and get blessed and have God provide for us and just be up there all the time, but you need to go into the valleys also. If you ever fly in an airplane over a land of hills and valleys, you will notice that although there are trees on top of the hills, they grow the best down in the valleys. There's more fruit on the trees down in the valleys. This year will be a year of ups and a year of downs. You know, so often when God brings us to that place of entering into that valley, we've just had a mountaintop experience with God. We're just blessed out of our socks and we start going into the valley. We go, wait a minute, Lord. Can't we just go around this valley? Lord, I just love to be on the mountaintop and experience and feel your presence with me in this wonderful fellowship. Can't we just hang around on the mountain a little longer? And God whispers, no, you need to go down into the valley. It's a place that will strengthen you. And you need to go into the valleys to get up to the next mountains. And I want to get you to the next mountain, but you've got to go to the valleys first. Oh, Lord, just airlift me to the next mountain. How about that? Nope. And then he takes your hand and he leads you down into the valleys. But remember this, that God is leading you into those times. God has a hold of you. He says it's a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven. You remember what David said in Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear an evil because the Lord will be with me. He didn't say, yea, though I sit through the valley of the shadow of death, or yea, though I collapse and give up in the valley. David didn't say, I'm going to confess that negative valley away. I'm going to think positively and have no valleys. I'm going to have all mountains smooth downhill from here on. I'm going to confess it and be positive. 
No, he said, I am going to walk through that valley of the shadow of death, but God's going to be with me. I know that God is leading me in this valley. Now we look at verse 12. God says, it is a land for which your the Lord, your God, cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. Oh, I love those promises. First he says, this is a land that I am caring for you in. I care. I'm going to lead you into a land, but this is a land that I care for. So I'm going to lead you into a place where I will be caring for you because you'll be in that land. It's a land that I care for. Now there are times when all of us feel as if nobody cares. We feel forsaken by God. We feel that God doesn't even care. We feel forsaken. We feel desperate. We feel alone, lonely. No one's around. Nobody cares. But know this, that when God leads you into a place, God will care for you into that place. The hand of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. If God leads you into a place, God will care for you there. You don't have to sweat it. If God is leading, God will sustain. And so he says, this is the land that I care for. Now, this is an important truth. And it's an important foundation. There are certain truths in your Christian walk that it is important that you have firmly established. One of them is that God cares. You need to have that firmly established because this year you're going to be in circumstances that you don't understand. You're going to be in situations and you'd wonder, God, if you love me, how could you lead me here? Don't you care, God? But never doubt the care of God. If you can be firmly established that God cares. You see, a lot of people believe God and have faith in God and have all this wonderful mountain-moving faith until something goes wrong. Then all of a sudden their faith gets blown out the window. Hey, that's not true faith. Oh, I just trust and I believe God and something goes wrong. Oh, the devil. What am I doing wrong? I don't have enough faith. That's not true faith. True faith is when you can look adversity in the face. You can look disease in the face. You can look maladies in the face and you can say, I still believe that God cares, that God loves me, and I trust God. God cares. That is true faith. And if you have that kind of faith, you will be unshakable, immovable. You see, your faith will be shaked. Your faith will move all over the place if you only believe God in the good times. If you can't believe God and trust God during those bad times. It's not just a confession that you make. You need to trust God and trust that God cares. And look at those bad situations in the face and say, I don't know why this happened, but I still know that God is a God of love. He cares and I trust Him. And that's all that I need to know. God doesn't have to reveal the whole thing to me. Wouldn't it be nice if Romans 8.28 said, most things work together for good to them that love God? Wouldn't that be easy to believe? Oh, I could believe that. Half of the things work together for the good to them that love God. 98% of the things that happen work out for the good. No, it says all things. All things work together for the good. That is important to realize. Not just most things, but all things. This year you will stand upon mountaintops. You'll have great experiences with the Lord. You will grow in your Christian walk with the Lord. You may prosper in your life. And you'll stand upon some mountaintops and it'll just be fresh air and you'll see... I've noticed that mountaintops are often 
the places that the wind blows the coldest and it's the harshest is upon the mountaintops. You're going to be in valleys this year. Some of them very green and lush, filled with trees and fruit. Some of them very lonely. You also walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But if you can trust God, that God cares, and that the eyes of the Lord are upon it from the beginning of the year till the end of the year. You know, it's these times. Look back on this last year. Remember all of the, think of maybe the hardest trial you were going through. And remember that those times of hardship were the times that Satan whispered in your ear saying, God doesn't care. God isn't concerned. You've prayed for this for weeks, even months. How come God doesn't care? And your faith was challenged. Well, your faith will again be challenged. Satan will come and will whisper to you and say, God does not care. Hey, people often come to you and say things that challenge your faith in God. They say, hey, if you only had enough faith, if you only believed God, you wouldn't have hills and valleys. You'd have it all smooth. If you had as much faith as I had, hey, you'd have no hills and valleys. It'd just be all nice and lush and smooth all the time. No, no, no. It's because God loves you that God leads you into those places, even as the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested. God will lead you into those places because you will bear forth fruit. And this year will be a fruitful year if you just continue to stay plugged into Jesus Christ and abide in Jesus Christ in the good and the bad, in the hills and the valleys, in the ups and in the downs. The Lord your God will care for you. He says this in verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are always on it from the beginning of the year, which is today, until the end of the year. The eyes of the Lord are always on where He leads you. And the eyes of God are always upon you. Now, that can be either very comforting or very frightening, depending on how you live. If you live a life to please God, that's going to be a comfort to you. If you're not living a life to please God, that could be very frightening to you. Because God sees every day, every thought you think, every little thought that can just pass through your mind, Everything you do, even when no one else knows about it, the eyes of God are upon you. God knows. You're not hiding. You're not pulling a fast one on God. God knows everything. I want to read to you this morning what R.A. Torrey says about this. He says, The Holy Spirit is not a blind, impersonal influence or a power that comes into our lives to illuminate and empower them. No, He is more than this. He is a holy person who comes to dwell in our hearts one who sees clearly every act that we perform, every word that we speak, every thought that we entertain, even the most fleeting fancy that is allowed to pass through our minds. And if there is anything in act or word or deed that is impure, unholy, unkind, selfish, petty or untrue, this infinitely holy one is grieved by it. He continues and he says this, I know of no other thought that will help one more than this, to lead a holy life and to walk softly in the presence of God. The eyes of the Lord will be on you from the beginning to the end. The answer? Simply abide in Jesus Christ and live your life to please Jesus Christ and that will be a comfort to you because God will always be looking after you. Now, if you don't know the Lord this morning and your life isn't committed to Jesus Christ, that should be a very frightening thought to you. Because God is checking you on everything that you think and do as long as you're apart from Him.
But let's go on before we get back to that. The last thing God tells them is how to live. How do I live in this next year? Well, he says this in verse 13. And it shall be that if you diligently obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul, then I will give you the rain in your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain the new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. But take heed to yourselves that your heart, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. He's saying, beware in this new land that your heart doesn't get turned aside from the true God, from the living God. There's always a temptation. Every time God leads us into a new place, we always get tempted to get attached to where we are. In effect, he's saying, don't get weighed down. Keep a light touch with the world. That's the admonition to us. Let's keep a light touch with the world. Let's not get really weighed down with the world and worldly possessions and worldly pleasures too much. So often we get attached to the world too much. We forget that we're just passing through. That this world is not even our home. And that we shouldn't really put roots down here in this world. We shouldn't get so attached to this world that we're unattached from where we're going. You see, life in a, is really short. It really is. Whether you live to be 80, 90, 100 or whatever, life is short compared to eternity. So don't get your roots down here. There was a guy who took a vacation to Yellowstone National Park. And he went there and he started building a house. He was only there for two weeks. Well, somebody was driving down the street and saw him building. He goes, what are you doing building here in the National Park? It's illegal. He goes, well, I'm only here for two weeks. You're only here for two weeks. Why are you laying a foundation then in building? Well, I figure if I'm going to be on vacation, I'm going to be here for two weeks. I might as well be comfortable. How ludicrous. You're only going to be there for two weeks. You don't build a home. You stay in a hotel or pitch a tent. And so often as we pass through this world, we get so attached to the things of the world. We become a slave of possessions. To where we don't possess our possessions, we have so much credit that we owe and we're so much in debt that the possessions possess us. And we're controlled and ruled by them. Let's keep a light touch. Let's hang loose this year. Lest our heart get deceived and turn and serve other gods. The last thing that I want to point out is what we read in verse 13. And this is really the kernel of the whole matter. And it shall be if you diligently obey my commandments, which I command you today, notice, to love the Lord your God and to serve Him. That's really where it's all at. To love and to serve God. This new year, that's where our priority should be. If you want to make any kind of a resolution, let it be this. God, I'm going to give you my life, my plans, you're in control. All I want to do is to love you and to serve you. Give me the power by your Holy Spirit to love you and to serve you. You know, life is too short. Let's stop dilly-dallying around and get to serious business with our love relationship and our service to God. Let's not put it off any longer. Let's really get serious with our relationship to God and our service for Jesus Christ. Let's not let it wait or sit by the wayside any longer. Because the days are very short. 
You know that if you just remember one thing from today, if you just remember love God, I'd be very pleased. Because if you just love God, everything else will fall into place. If God is your number one priority, your whole life will fall into order, will fall into place. You see, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added to you. He didn't say, seek all of the other things. Seek where you're going to get a job. Seek and be overly concerned with where you're going to live. Seek and be overly concerned about this and that. He just said, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. If God is our priority and loving God is our priority, everything will fall into place. So we're entering into a new land. A land that's different from last year, different from the world. Different from where God has led us last year. It's a land with ups and downs. A year that will have hills and valleys. But no matter what, God is caring for us where He leads us. And His eyes are always upon us and the place that He leads us from the beginning of the year, from today to the end. That's the confidence that we can have. God says, love me. Don't get too attached. Keep a light touch. Don't get too attached to this world and the things of the world. Don't get too involved in things that have only worldly ends and worldly goals. But love me and it will all fall into place. Shall we pray? Father, today we thank you that we have the glorious promise that you will never leave or forsake us. That your eyes are always upon us. That if we put you first and love you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, that everything else will fall into place. Father, we thank You so much. And Father, I pray for those in this room who have never made a real commitment to Jesus Christ. Oh, they may have come to church or different churches for a long time. They may have been even religiously involved for a long time. But they have never made a personal commitment to You. Lord, I pray as Your eye is upon them that their heart would be touched and want to give their lives to Jesus Christ today. To start out the new year with a new life in Jesus Christ. A new land. New promises. Lord, teach them that they can start all over again. Father, I pray that You right now would just work on their hearts. And as everybody is praying, Christians continue to pray for these. If you've never made a public commitment to Jesus Christ, or you've never really given your life to Jesus Christ... You don't have a personal relationship with Him. You've never been born again. I want to give you that opportunity today. There's a lot of Christians that are in front of you and all around you that are praying for you right now. They're praying that you will receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior if you never have. I'm going to ask you to respond to that right now by just raising your hand up and down one time so that I can see it. If you want to accept Jesus Christ, just slip your hand up and down once. Praise the Lord. God bless you and you. Praise the Lord. If you want to know Jesus Christ, don't wait. Just slip your hand up and down one time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Christians, continue to pray. I know that there's more here today who don't know the Lord. You may have come to Calvary Chapel a few times. You may have come to other churches. And you put it off. God is speaking to your heart. That little feeling that you feel in your heart right now, that is the Holy Spirit. That feeling that says, raise up your hand, accept Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit. Raise up your hand up and down. That you want to accept Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank You for these that have made that commitment. And Father, I pray that You'd keep them. Father, I pray that they would have the courage, Lord, to ask them what I'm about to ask them to do. 
Father, we thank you that you have brought us through another year. And Lord, we have the privilege of serving you for a whole another year unless you come before it, and we would love that. Father, we look for your soon return, and we have hope in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.